Well, with this passage of scripture, what I want to do is, as I said before, I want to present to you, uh, in, a, in a summary way uh, of this passage, I want to present to you the most important decision you'll ever make. I don't know what you were thinking of when you thought that you would come to church this morning. I don't know if you were, thought that you would be confronted with the most important decision you would ever have to make. But the passage of scripture is going to lead you and me to this place. You and I will have a decision to make this day. I hope in one sense that it is a decision that's already been made. If it has been a decision that's already been made by you, I would, I would ask you to, to engage me with this text once again, to take up afresh uh, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, to use this maybe as a corrective or, or as an evaluation of where our life is and how we are conducting ourselves in our lives. I would ask you to do that. I would ask you to hear, uh, in one sense, almost for the first time again, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, saying to his disciples and really saying to the crowds, whosoever will, whoever comes after me, whoever would be my disciple, let him take up his cross. And so again, I want, I want to interact with you from the standpoint of decision. Last week, it was from the standpoint of answering a question. This week, it'll be a sta- from the standpoint of decision. And I hope and I pray by the grace of God that you will be able to make this decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what a momentous decision this is. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to work this passage in such a way as to lay out for you everything that Jesus Christ is setting before us. He doesn't overlook, he doesn't ignore, he doesn't deny the reality of the value of your soul. He doesn't deny, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't ignore everything by way of the temptation that this world offers. He knows these things. But because he loves your soul and because he wants you to know how important your soul is, he presses upon you and me this important decision. Oh, why will you, will we take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, by the way, by way of the grace of God, what I hope to do is to handle this passage of scripture in such a way as to make you and me understand that in following Jesus to heaven, we can only do it on his terms. Have you ever thought about the fact that many people are willing to go to heaven on their own terms? Have you ever thought of the fact that if you mention heaven to people and people who wouldn't want to go to heaven, particularly when you consider the alternative? But most people are desirous to go to heaven on their own terms. I find no such way to heaven in the word of God. I find only one way to heaven in the word of God. And that's on the terms that Jesus Christ sets forth. And so again, what I want to set before you today is that no person can go to heaven except on the terms that Jesus Christ gives. Well, in dealing with this passage of Scripture, I'm going to use the concept of discipleship as we work through the passage of Scripture, because that's what we see here. And what we're going to see from this passage of Scripture uh, by way of our outline is that we're going to show that uh, discipleship, I'm sorry, we're going to show, uh, number one, the who, what I would call the whosoever of discipleship. I find it very interesting that in this, uh, in this eighth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, three times, at least in the King James, that, that word whosoever is used by way of discipleship. And I want you to know that each and every one of you here today, the, the opportunity to follow Jesus Christ is before you. In one sense, this is an open inv- invitation that Jesus Christ, to, to all and any, far and wide, to come and to follow him to heaven, to take up the cross, as it were. And so I want to present to you the whosoever of discipleship. The next thing I want to present to you since we're talking about discipleship is the meaning of discipleship. What is discipleship? Well, in one sense, this is a, uh, that, that, that topic could take us through many sermons. 
in one sense, and, and we can go, we can spend uh, uh, weeks uh, almost on end speaking about discipleship. But we'll keep it just to today's sermon. What is discipleship? And then the third thing I want to do from the passage of scripture is to show you the means of discipleship. How is it, and that we become disciples? What is it that Christ is calling us to? And so again, I hope to set these things before you here today by way of that outline. The other thing I want you to know before we get into the body of our sermon here today, the other thing that I want you to be aware of is that this, this, this um, emphasis that our Lord Jesus Christ gives is a very important emphasis, em- emphasis for us not to ignore on the one hand or misunderstand on the other. We cannot ignore it, nor can we misunderstand it. And the reason why is very important. If we ignore this call to discipleship that our Lord Jesus Christ gives, this most strident call to discipleship, if we ignore it, one of the things that we are doing is we are removing from the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ one of the most elemental features of all of his teaching. That our Lord Jesus Christ very often in his teaching brings to bear upon his hearers this importance of making the decision to follow Christ, even at all cost, And so we have to be very careful that we don't remove from that, from the teaching of our Lord, we don't remove this element of his teaching. On the other hand, we have to be careful the way we present it, because if we present it wrongly, you will be left with an impression that you must in some way, shape, or form work or earn your salvation. I want to say that again. If I present this wrongly, you will in some way, shape, or form think that you have to work for or earn your salvation. I want you to be aware that salvation is a great gift of God Almighty to each and every one of you here, should you receive it. So I have to present this passage of Scripture properly. Now, it's interesting that many have interacted with, the, uh, with uh, this passage of Scripture. And as I said before, some have really tried to diminish, to diminish uh, the, 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 the strident uh, tones of the passage. And they've not allowed individuals to interact with it in a way that takes seriously this call that the Lord Jesus Christ is making here. I don't want to make that mistake. And so we'll make sure that as we work through the passage that we will uh, handle it uh, as best as we can by way of the grace of God. But I want you to hear some of these, some of the words of our Lord by way of the importance of this important decision that has to be made. Oftentimes when we read the words of our Lord, we see him bringing his hearers to this kind of vital decision that needs to be made. In Matthew chapter 8, in Matthew chapter 8 verses 18 through 22, our Lord Jesus says this. Now when Jesus saw the great multitudes, he gave them commandment to depart to the other side. And a certain scribe came unto him and said, listen to this, Master, I will follow thee wheresoever thou goest. And as we read this, we think, well, this is great. Here is a man who is willing to be the disciple of Jesus Christ. And our Lord says to him in verse 20, And Jesus saith unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples saith unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. Notice how the Lord Jesus Christ is bringing these individuals to an immediacy by way of their response. Uh, to the one who comes and wants to be the disciple, the Lord Jesus Christ reminds them, listen, discipleship is a very hard task that you're being called to. Count the cost, even as we read this morning in Luke chapter 14. In this, uh, second, uh, in this second event, what we see by way of our, Lord te- uh, our Lord's teaching here is this. He is saying to this man who was asking Jesus, <clears throat> I will take up my discipleship 
But let me stay with my family long enough to bury my father. And then when that's all said and done, I'll come and I'll follow you then. And it's that kind of situation that we all think about from time to time. When this situation is right in my life, then I'll really make a determination to follow Christ. When this issue over here is settled in, in what it should be, then I'll really decide to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord will not allow the man to make that kind of decision. He says, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. In other words, Jesus is calling you to the discipleship here and now. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, our Lord is speaking once again these very, very, these very uh, difficult words. Again, uh, Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 38, where, where Jesus says, again, very directly, he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Oh, have you considered the gospel from this perspective? Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And so even in this regard, you and I, we cannot serve self and we cannot serve God at the same time. There must be a priority in our lives whereby God has the greatest, uh, the greatest priority. One more passage of scripture, again, just reminding us of the importance of this decision. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Enter at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to the destruction, and many there be that go thereat. Because straight is the great gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Do you understand what our Lord is saying here? Over and over again in the scripture, we see this very strident call to discipleship. Living, or if I can say it this way, going to heaven on God's terms. Going to heaven on the terms that Jesus lays out, not in the way that we might think is best. And so as I said before, I want to interact with, I want to interact, uh, with this passage of scripture from this perspective. Well, let's get to the passage itself now. And let's consider, uh, number one, as I said here before, the whosoever of discipleship. And I would ask you to take your Bibles and again, look at Mark, uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 34, 35, and 38. Now I'm going to read from the King James. The, the ESV uh, uses the same kind of language, but not, not so much with whosoever. But in Mark 38, 34, whosoever will come after me. The, the ESV says, if anyone will come after me. And, uh, uh, verse 35, for whosoever, uh, the ESV says, whoever. Uh, again, Mark 8.38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. The whosoever of discipleship. And what I would say to you is this, is that this, this, uh, this offer or this call to discipleship is to each and every one of us gathered here today. And that brings me to consider the question, what is discipleship? I think many of us have something of a vague idea of discipleship. Discipleship is that whole frame of life or that way of thinking whereby we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There is Jesus Christ. We've come to him as Savior and Lord. And there he is now giving us command and giving instruction. And so whatever the Lord Jesus Christ lays out for us as a way of life, that is the way that we are following. And so the word itself is very much connected with the idea of a, of a teacher and his, and his student. And so here you are, here I am, I hope all of us are here, as those who are seeking to learn from the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, again, is your great master in this regard. And that the things that you are seeking to learn and the things that you are seeking to do are all based on the reality of Jesus Christ as master and Lord. This is what we see discipleship is. 
We can define discipleship a little more closely and, and say things like, as follows. Discipleship is the process of devoting oneself to a teacher to learn from and become more like them. For the Christian, this refers to the process of learning the teachings of Jesus and following after his example through the power of the Holy Spirit. Discipleship not only involves the process of becoming a disciple, but also of making other disciples through teaching and evangelism. So in other words, what we're seeing here is discipleship is the life of the Christian. The life of the Christian as it's laid out for us in the word of God. The life of the Christian that is given to us uh, coming from the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you a question. Do you consider yourself a disciple this morning? I couple that with the question, do you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I couple that with the question, do you desire and do you have a longing to avert the pains of hell and to enjoy the blessedness of eternal life? Well, you see, the call to discipleship in a very real way is, is related and is, and, and is one with the call to salvation. I would suggest this to you, that, that no one comes to salvation apart from an awareness of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, why do I say these things? Because there, there are views of the Christian life. I'm very disappointed by them, but there are views of the Christian life that say that an individual can come to faith in Jesus Christ and not necessarily be a disciple. I think that's a very wrong approach to understanding the teaching of our Savior. To be sure, discipleship sometimes has a rocky uh, road uh, that it's traveled. Now, there are times when my obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ is not what it should be. And there are other times when, the, by way of the grace of God, uh, obedience seems to be something that uh, Christ enables me to, uh, to, to thrive in. And the same with you. And so when we look at discipleship, yes, there is a variation in, uh, by way of how successful we may be. But I would also have you understand that there is no such thing as, a self, as salvation apart from true discipleship. All those whom Christ saves, he calls to follow his disciples. And so again, when we talk about what discipleship is, in one sense, discipleship is the working out of your salvation. I hope and I pray that each and every one of you have considered salvation from that perspective. Well, when we, get, when we want to get more information on what discipleship is... We have to look to the scriptures for this, obviously. And I think the Gospel of Luke is particularly helpful in this regard. And in the Gospel of Luke, in a number of places, we have, we have indications as to the true nature of discipleship. Let me just read a couple of passages for you here. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says this, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. In other words, discipleship is to be like Christ. What's significant about that? in this passage that we're looking at here today, is that you might remember from last week, Jesus was describing the fact that he was going to be crucified. He was going to the cross. Remember Peter said, Thou art the Christ, and, 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 and the Lord Jesus Christ again was commending Peter for, for that profession, for that confession of faith. And then do you remember when Peter begins to rebuke Jesus, when Jesus was speaking about going to Jerusalem to die? When Jesus mentioned the cross... Peter said to him, Lord, again, don't say those things. And, and at that point, the Lord Jesus Christ corrected Peter. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I want you to see and understand it's in that context that the call of discipleship is given. The context of, again, giving one's life in the obedience of Christ. And so the call to discipleship, when Jesus says that every disciple shall be as his master, Please understand that Jesus, when he calls you to salvation, he's calling you to a life given in obedience 
to the Lord Jesus Christ, a life that means he is Lord, a life that may indeed end in serving Christ in such a way that in this world we lose our life. You might say to me, Pastor, you're not making a very persuasive case for being a Christian this morning. My friends, I remind you, nobody gets to heaven on their own way. We only get to heaven on the terms that Jesus laid out. Now we're going to show the gracious underpinnings of this call. And there is. There are gracious underpinnings here. We're going to get to that. But first we have to understand what discipleship is and what Jesus is calling us to. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says this, If any man come to me, now listen to this, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren, and sisters, yea, his own life also cannot be my disciple. What is this? Here our Lord Jesus Christ is saying in the Gospel of Luke what I'm going to explain that he's saying here in Mark chapter 8. That in being a disciple of Jesus Christ, we purposely engage in a frame of thinking to where we are no longer the center of our own universe, if I can say it that way. That we deny ourselves in order that Christ might be exalted. And that there will be no rivals to our affections and love for Jesus Christ. The most important decision you will ever make, you are being confronted with here today. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27 of Luke 14. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33. So likewise, whosoever of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. What is this thing of discipleship? Well, I want you to understand that in our passage before us, in Luke, I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 8, the discipleship really is comprised of three great activities in the, life of the, in the life of the believer. And all those who make a saving profession of faith in Jesus Christ, if I can say it in this way, all those who make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ have planted within them these attitudes. Now these attitudes, again, may not be apparent at first. These attitudes, again, may not be something that you fully thought of, but the scriptures are calling us to think on these things and to think on these things very deeply. And what we're going to see is that as our Lord is speaking about what it means to be a disciple, he'll sum it up into three great activities. Look here again in, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 34 here of, uh, of, Mark, uh, of Mark chapter 8. And what does he say? Uh, and he called his, the people and he said unto his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and let him follow me. Those are the three features of, the, uh, of discipleship. And so discipleship involves this threefold activity of the believer, whereby on a continual basis he is engaged in a continual denial of self. We have to define what that is. Whereby he is engaged in a continual bearing of the cross. We have to define what that is. Whereby he, engaged in a, whereby he is engaged in a continual, continually following of Christ. Of course, we have to explain what that is. But the first thing that our Lord says here is that to be his disciples, we must deny ourselves. Well, what does this mean? 
Well, this idea of self-denial, we have to understand, really touches at the core of who you and I are. Because I think everybody by way of nature, and this will not be surprising to us, everyone by way of nature have, has ourselves at the center of our kind of realm of thinking and experience. Everything we experience comes through the filter, obviously, of who we are. And the way we respond to something is oftentimes is, is, is predicated by way of how things happen to us. Our feelings, our, our, our inclinations, uh, our, our desires. And what our Lord Jesus Christ is calling us to, what he is calling every disciple to, what he is calling everyone who would go to heaven on his terms, what he is calling us to is that we be engaged in a continual process of self-denial. A better way of saying this might be self-renunciation. So that we are no longer putting ourselves at the center of who and what we are. So that life is no longer viewed from the perspective of what's best for me, but what will be most glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great challenge. It's a great challenge. Because again, as we experience life, as we go through this world in which we live, what's more closer to us than our own well-being? And our Lord Jesus Christ is saying that the task of the disciple the task of those who would go to heaven on his terms is to be engaged in this process of self-denial. This denial of self takes on many forms. Uh, obviously, as I said before, it's this idea of self-renunciation. I no longer am placing myself at the center. Can I say, can I, can I say this um, along these lines? Uh, isn't one of the great uh, marks of maturity uh, when individuals get to the place where they really understand that not everything has to be prioritized around themselves? Isn't it a mark of maturity when people understand that there are other causes, there are other things, there are other persons that have to be considered before myself? I think one of the great examples or one of the great pictures of self-denial is, is my, and I'm, I'm not trying to chum up the ladies here, but I think one of the great examples of, of self-denial here is, is motherhood. Why do I say that? Look at a mother with a newborn baby in her arms. Who does that mother think of more than her, before herself? She thinks of the baby more than she thinks of herself. Look at a mother as she's caring for and watching over and being tenderly concerned that everything just happened just right for the baby. It's a wonderful picture of self-renunciation. And so what this idea of self-denial is, it's now not so much from the perspective of the mother and the baby, it's now from the perspective of me as an individual and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so self is denied in order that Christ might be exalted. This is what we're seeing here. And this is why this denial of self is so important. Because the greatest challenge we're going to ever have is to place ourselves again in first place in these things. We see a number of other ways in which this self-denial becomes very important. We saw an example of it in the reading of Scripture this morning. In Philippians chapter 3, there was the Apostle Paul. And this self-denial means that not only are we, again, renouncing self in regard to our, sta our standing before God with the Lord Jesus Christ, it not only means that we renounce ourselves seeking the benefit of others more than ourselves, it also has to do with the idea of, of our standing before God, how we see ourselves before God. And Paul took everything that he had ever achieved as a religious man, and he put it all out of the way. Why? Because it was nothing in comparison to Christ. And so this self-denial, this self-renunciation means that we don't come before God with something in our hands. We go broken before God and we seek that His, and we desire His purposes uh, be done. 
And so again, we see that this self-denial is a self-renunciation. This self-denial is, not, is, is in no way depending on our own merit to stand before God. But I think that we have a very good picture of what self-denial is. It's not a positive picture, but it is a good picture. And if you're asking yourself and maybe hoping that I give a more concrete answer of self-denial, can I give you a picture of it? And I think the best picture that we have of self-denial in the scripture it's not a very good picture, but it's an effective picture. It's when our Lord Jesus Christ is on trial and being examined by the chief priests and the Pharisees. You remember that? And there was Peter in the courtyard. And there was that young girl saying to Peter, Aren't you one of his? Don't you belong to him? Doesn't your speech betray you? And what does Peter say? Peter denied that he knew the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a very good picture. But that's what self-denial is. That's what we do to ourselves. We deny self in order that Christ might be exalted. And so again, in this whole matter of self-denial, what a picture we have in the, in the actions of Peter. Again, I would just ask you just, well, we won't go there, but it's, it's, it's right there in Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. So the first thing I want you to see about, uh, about uh, this uh, call to discipleship is that it involves self-denial. One man says this about the concept of self-denial, and I've not sufficiently really opened it up for you, uh, but one man says this about self-denial. He says, It is said that prior to the rise of Christianity, not one of the, we- not one of the Western languages had any word for self-denial. The austere moralist of India, indeed, had long since taught the sacrifice of inclination to lofty ideas and duty, but the Greek, Rome, and but the Greek, Roman, and even uh, and even Hebrew had not contemplated self-denial in itself as essential to virtuous or devout character, and so they had no word coined for it. But when one by one Western nations were subdued by the spiritual weapons sharpened in the armory of Christ, the idea and the word itself, self-denial, quickly came to the front in preaching and in practice. Nor will any student of the gospel deny that, pre- that, that this is quite characteristic and it is the typical utterance of Christ. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, again, this was the, the comment of a, of, of a preacher from probably 150 years ago, how accurate he is in his linguistic study as to whether or not self-denial was a concept understood by the Western mind. I really don't know, but I offer it to you. And I offer it to you just to show you is this how, how contrary it is to our human nature. It's very contrary to human nature to deny self. It's very contrary to, to human nature to renounce self. It's contrary to human nature, again, to give this kind of pride of place to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm going to show you when we get done that by grace this is possible. But still, the denial of self must be there. The second thing that we see our Lord saying is that if a man is to be his disciple, if a person is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, he must not only deny himself, but he must also take up his cross. Well, this is a very challenging thing as well. And I'm not going to go into any kind of extensive detail as to what it means to bear the cross other than to say this. Understand that the Christian life is a cross-shaped life. The Christian life, again, has as, as, its, as its primary uh, uh, kind of expression uh, the idea of this selflessness, giving ourselves and bearing the cross of Christ. 
Now, I think one of the clearest ways that we can see uh, what the what this what it is to bear the cross, I, I would say to you uh, the following: when we consider what it is to bear the cross, that in bearing the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, what we see is that this is something that we are not enduring because it's inevitable. That sometimes we think that that's what our cross is. Circumstances in life are very difficult. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe things have come upon you that you wish did not come upon you. And there you are and you say, well, you know what? I have to deal with this. I have to bear this. This is, this is the cross I have to bear. I understand that. But that's probably not what our Lord Jesus Christ is saying here. Probably more to the point what our Lord Jesus Christ is saying here. Not that you and I endure the, the, the inevitable but that you and I willfully take up that which is escapable in order that Christ might be glorified. You see, bearing the cross means to have hardship and persecution sometimes and difficulty come upon you because of your identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. You could escape it if you wanted to. Our Lord even mentions that at the end of, at the, end of the, of the uh, section here in verse 38. Therefore, whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful journey, you just may not choose to be identified with Christ. But for those who will be identified with Christ, you see, this is what taking the cross is. It's not, it's not enduring the inevitable. It's choosing it's voluntarily taking up that which is escapable in order that Christ might be exalted and glorified. And so discipleship involves this self-denial. Discipleship involves this bearing of the cross. And the third thing that we see here is that discipleship involves following the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what is it to follow Christ? Well, again, it's in, look, look at the context in which we see this. Our Lord Jesus Christ is very close to, to beginning his way to go to Jerusalem, to suffer and to die. And so when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we follow the will of God obediently, even unto death. Now these things are, these things are challenging. I, I understand that. I, I, I know that, uh, uh, that, uh, that the challenge of, of following Christ and put, and put in this kind of a way uh, is, uh, is very difficult to embrace. But I lay it before you because I have to. I'm, we're preaching through this passage of Scripture. For me to lightly pass over this passage would be to do your soul wrong. And by the grace of God, I refuse to do that. But how do we deal with this passage of Scripture? How do we deal with this idea? How do we go from uh, the whosoever of discipleship uh, to the marks of discipleship? How do we go to the means of discipleship? And this is where I want to emphasize the gracious aspect or the gracious activity of God in this. And I want to ask you again to interact with the text with me. Notice what we have here. Notice here in verses, uh, verse 35. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall, have, shall save it. For what shall profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And what I want you to see and consider with me now is the means by which this kind of discipleship is taken up. And the first thing I want you to see here is I want to ask you to consider within your own mind the value of your own soul. The value of your own soul. What is the soul? In one sense, the soul is the you of the you, if I can say it that way. In one sense, the soul is that part of you that shall never die. 
In one sense, the soul of you is, the, is, is, is who you really are in spite of everything that may be external to you. It's the, who, it's the you of who you are in spite of whatever you achieve or don't achieve in this life. It's the real you. And the sad reality of our day is this, is that people value themselves too little. In a selfish age, how can people value themselves too little? Because, I've said it like this, Satan will buy you cheap. What do you mean? He'll give you whatever you want. Just give him the soul. He'll give you the world if necessary. Just give up the soul. And the reason why people refuse to take up the way to heaven on the terms that Christ has laid out because they don't understand how precious their soul is. The redemption of the soul is precious, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 49. And so what we're dealing with here, when you're being called to this kind of discipleship, you need to understand how valuable and how precious your soul is. And this comes to the classic statement of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we'll probably take up next week. What will profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And this is an amazing thing. Because one of the things that we see when we, last week we heard, as it were, kind of the echo of Satan in the, in, in the words of the Apostle Peter, when the Apostle Peter was saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, you said, don't go to the cross, that was the very thing that Satan tempted him with. And the very thing that Satan was tempting our Lord Jesus Christ with in the, in, in the wilderness temptation is what we see here. Didn't he say, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kings of the world? And we see the same thing here. The soul is offered, will be offered anything. Just give up the soul. I don't want to talk out of turn. I wonder how many times Satan makes that offer and says under his breath, what a chump, what a fool. I told you Satan will buy your soul cheap. He'll give you whatever you want. And we read, we hear these stories, don't we? These people who, who achieve great things in, in this world. Maybe it's the athlete who trained all their life. And we've heard it how many times? There they are at the pinnacle of success. And they say, all right, what now? Was it worth it? We hear of people who, who we, we read of people who have everything. And they killed themselves. Because there's nothing that satisfies the soul. The soul, you see. And so when our Lord Jesus Christ makes this call to discipleship, he's asking you to consider the value of your soul. What will profit you? What will profit me? I remember I heard a, 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 a preacher preach it from this perspective. You know, maybe you and I think to ourselves, well, we're just who and what we are. We'll never be able to gain the world. What if you can gain everything within your own little sphere of influence? What still would it profit you? What if you became the best at what you did, the most famous at what you did? What would it profit you if you, lose your, if you lost your soul? And so again, this passage of Scripture calls us to understand the value of the soul. And like I said, more than likely, we'll pick that up again next week. But I want you to see something else. And I think this is very important because I'm going to, if I can, I want to elevate your thinking here a little bit. Yes, I want, you to con I want you to consider the value of your soul. Our Lord Jesus Christ makes it first and foremost here. But I think there's something else that our Lord does here to kind of in, to give this incentive for following the Lord Jesus Christ. Or as I said earlier, to, 
to go to heaven on his terms, not only do you consider the value of your soul, I would ask you to consider this, a desire for the approval of Christ. Verse 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. The implication is this, if you're not ashamed of Christ here and now, Christ will not be ashamed of you when he comes and when he returns. And yes, I'm speaking about the literal second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I believe it to be a fact of biblical history and of true human history that the Lord Jesus Christ will indeed return in glory. And when he returns in glory, where will you be in that day? You see, the scripture warns us about being ashamed that his coming. Isn't that what John says in his first epistle, uh, in his first epistle? that we are to conduct ourselves in such a way as to not be ashamed at his coming. We all know what this is like on a little, on a, on a small level. Well, we can cut close to the bone on this one, can't we? In our day when we all have our computers in our home and somebody comes around and what do we do? We turn the page. How much? Let it stand. Ashamed. You see, what will it be like to be ashamed of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? And so what our Lord, by way of implication, then is saying this, that in this desire to follow our Lord Jesus Christ in this call to discipleship, rather than being ashamed at us when he comes, he will greet us with these open arms. And he will say, my child, my follower, my brother, my sister, my little sheep, my little lamb. And what I would say to you is this. Can you work by way, of the, by way of the grace of God and by way of the influences of the Spirit of God and by way of prioritizing the Word of God in your thinking, this desire to hear from Christ, well done, thou good and faithful servant? You know what it's like. You know, this is, isn't this one of the things they tell us about parenting all the time? I never, I never got that lesson too good, though. But anyway, they tell us about parenting. They were supposed to, we're supposed to uh, again, you know, commend our children and, and tell them they did a good job. And again, I'm not trying to diminish. I'm not trying to make light of these things. But we all know the importance of having from somebody who we esteem say to us, maybe not even say to us, but just look at us and say, keep it up. It motivates us. It move, and this is what the Lord Jesus will do for us when we, when we come. If we take up the cross and follow him, he'll not be ashamed of us in his coming. And so what am I doing here? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to incite some kind of desire to take up this call to heaven. But there's one more thing I want you to see here. And it's not so much in the text. But I think we're justified in bringing it to bear on the text. To, to, to incite you to take up the call. I've mentioned to you the value of your soul. I've mentioned to you the wonder, the beauty of having Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I think the truest way to take up the cross of discipleship, the truest way to take up the cross of discipleship is by a true and genuine love for Jesus Christ. Because what will love not do for the object that is loved. And I'm saying to you, not even the value of your own soul can surpass the force of love for Jesus Christ. 
And so when I preach a message to you like this here today, I want you to understand the value of your soul. I don't want you to think that I'm ignoring this this severe call to discipleship. But I want you above all things to love Christ. Because if you love Christ, what will the cross that this world places on you be? If you love Christ, you see the soul again will find its fullest fruition in Christ himself. If you love Christ, you will want Christ to be first place. And so again, we look at these passages of Scripture where our Lord brings these things out. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus, in verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him. Here we have the benefit of all these things. Again, verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loveth me. John 15, uh, uh, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as my Father, uh, even, even as I have kept my Father's commandments. And when, and when Peter had failed, when he had, when he had, again, blessed Peter, when he had failed and the Lord Jesus brought, was bringing him back, he doesn't say to Peter, I may have said this before, he doesn't say to Peter, Peter, look, how many times, Peter? Peter, listen, you know, if, if I can't trust you, I'll get, it, I'll, I'll, do, I'll, get it with, I'll get somebody else to do it. How many times have we heard that? How many times have we said that? But what does he say? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? I think Peter may have said, where's the cross? (laughs) Let me take it up. And so when we come to this, to the end of this passage, and when I set before you the challenge of this text, if any man will be my disciple, whosoever, let him deny himself, self-renunciation, and take up his cross, the cross-shaped life, and follow me. How do we do this? Understand the value of your soul, but primarily understand what it means to love the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we come to the end of this sermon now, we're back where we started. You and I have a decision to make. And the decision is this. Will we take up this cross? Now if I do this wrong, you're going to think you earn your way to salvation. I'm not saying that. But if I fail to emphasize this, I'm not preaching the gospel as Christ preached it. So my brothers and sisters, my friends, visitors, you're here. You have a decision. Will you take up the cross? On your way out the door this morning, as you go over the threshold, ask yourself if you will leave this church carrying the cross of Christ on your back. Not the cross that he carried but the cross that Christ has for you. A decision. May God give us grace. Let us pray.